0: Matthew chapter 18, I want to just uh, say again how much I appreciate the Sunday school lesson. It's really, this is sort of a, an addendum to that, really it's the same basic theme, different passage, different points, but it's the importance, signifying the importance of church life, how church life should be, and uh, we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 18 beginning in verse 15, and then we're going to, after we pray, we'll just sort of do a, a kind of a, Survey of things before and after this text that makes it clear, really, how important this is. Uh, But we're going to read beginning in verse uh, 15. If you're able to stand, let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God, and then we'll have prayer together. And just think about these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, where the Bible says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Mission accomplished. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, talking to his disciples and really to the church that he established, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, That they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the written word, the revelation of God that we have before us. We thank you, Lord, for the words, particularly of Jesus, as we read these things today. And know that they're not just words to the disciples thousands of years ago, but they're words for us. We receive them today. We want to live them today. We want to do as Jesus commands us to do, not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. So we pray you'd bless our time in the Word today in a very special way. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, a lot of times people read texts like this and think about the principles, and there are principles obviously contained in it, but really without looking at the context in which it was given. And in this overall context, if you were to look over... Really, chapter 18 and part of chapter 17, chapter 18. uh, It's just giving instruction really about caring for one another, ministering to one another, helping one another, being accountable uh, to one another. And it's interesting that they had been in chapter 17 in Capernaum, the northern part of Galilee on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is teaching them... And in that course of him teaching in verse, first part of chapter 18, if you'll look there, one of them asked this question in verse one, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus put a little child before him and, and basically said to them, unless you become converted and like this little child, you won't even enter in the kingdom. And, and he said, you need to humble yourself like this little child. And then he starts talking about offenses. If you offend one of these little children, you'd be better off with a millstone around your neck cast into the midst of the sea than to offend one of these little ones. And, and then he talks about those who cause offenses and you'd be better off to cut off your foot or cut off your, your hand if those things offend you. But in the, in the context in verse 10, he says don't despise one of these little ones. Verse 11, for the Son of Man has come to seek that which is lost. All this is kind of a 30,000 foot view of this passage we're going to deal with today. And in verse 12 of chapter 18, Jesus talks about a man who had a hundred sheep. If he lost one of those sheep, he would go out and search until he would find it. Verse 14, Even so it's not the will of your father that one of these little ones should perish. So we see this context about caring about one another, don't be offensive to one another, and uh, becoming like little children. And then in verse 15, he says, Moreover, in other words, Continuing that thought, and he's going to talk about, really, the way that we're to help one another. And he's talking in the context of the church. Just to make sure we understand that, look in verse 17, and I'm going to, I'm going to come back to verse 15 momentarily, but he says in verse 17, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him to be the, unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And so the first question that comes to mind, and I want to mention this as we get into the text, and that is the church identity. We heard about this in Sunday school this morning. What is the church? What does the church look like? And if you look at this passage in verse 17, it tells us that the church that Jesus is discussing and talking about and teaching about is a church that deals with issues. It says in verse 17 there, tell it unto the church. Now I know as we heard in Sunday school this morning there are a lot of people when they think of church they think of this universal invisible body of believers that never really get together they just sort of, but and that's really accepted by a lot of people but that you can't even live this in that context. A church is, the word is ecclesia that's translated as, into church and it means an assembly, a gathering together and so Uh, This church that Jesus is talking about is active. He says, tell it to the church, express it to the church. The church even makes decisions. It says, verse 17, if he neglect to hear the church. The church Jesus is talking about is a body of people that speak to each other and listen to each other and care about each other. If you're in Matthew 18, and most of you are, go to the left just a page or so to Matthew 16. Jesus refers to this church in verse 18 of Matthew 16, and I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This church, Jesus started himself. He started it during his earthly ministry. It was a local congregation, it assembled. They, they, they had organization. The initial members of that church, many of you would know this, perhaps you've never. Heard, some of you have never heard this, but where did those members come from that made up that church? These were people that were baptized by John the Baptist, and they, they made up the church that Jesus was forming. You know, you can be saved without being a member of one of the Lord's churches. You, you know, I've had people accuse me because I teach and preach very strongly about the importance of churches, and people have accused me of thinking, that you have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. I don't believe that. I, 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 you, can, you can be saved, go to heaven, spend eternity in heaven without being a member of a church, but you're going to miss out on what the New Testament teaches, a majority of what it teaches, if you're not actively functioning in a true church. church. You're gonna, because the, much of what the Bible says is directed to churches. You can't... You can't here's a teaching right here of Jesus that, that's practiced in the context of a local assembly. And Jesus started this church, but from this first church, multitudes of churches have been formed. I thank God for that today. The churches of the Bible and the churches of today are local, visibly assembling, self-governing. We see this in this text, bodies of baptized believers. And this is just a little part of what church life should look like. And then I want to give you a few things out of this text that I think are critically important in church life. The first one is church accountability. If you look in verses 15 through 17, he's, de- he's talking about how do you deal with problems, especially relationship problems, in the church. The simple answer is we, as members of the church, are to be accountable to each other. Now, I know that you realize this, that it's very common and very easy for people to attend church, enjoy the singing, listen to the preaching, you know, kind of greet each other maybe, but not really be involved in other people's lives. But I'm telling you today, and it's not just my opinion, this is the opinion of Scripture, that's not the way it's supposed to be lived. We're supposed to be involved with each other's lives. It's very, very common. Let's just kind of take this subject and pull it away from church living for a moment. It's it's a very common characteristic of individuals who want to sort of isolate themselves and not be accountable and kind of dismiss the importance of accountability. I was speaking to someone this this week about a situation where a teenager doesn't really want to be accountable to the leaders in in their life. And that's natural, you know, if you, you, you want to be, have your independence, you want to be freedom, you want to be individualistic, that's natural. But I'll tell you, teenagers are safer when they're accountable to people. Amen. Amen. Now, like other teenagers, I was once a teenager. And I thought I knew enough. I thought I knew more, bless her heart, I, I knew I knew more than my mama did, she was raising us. But you know what I found out when I got old enough? Mama's a lot smarter than I thought she was. I'd have, stayed in, I'd have stayed out a whole lot of trouble if I'd have paid more attention to what Mama said. But this is not just true of teenagers. Sometimes adults, that because they're not accountable to people, because they're not willing to run their ideas by someone, because they won't listen to spiritual guidance, they... They, they sort of just are mavericks. And I'm just telling you today, in the, this, is a, this is a passage that makes it so clear that as church members, we're to be accountable for each other. And I'm gonna say something you may not believe, but I believe it strongly. <laughs> Isolating ourselves from others is not always healthy. As a matter of fact, it can be very unhealthy. So what does Jesus say in verse 15 about this subject? He says in verse 15, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Now, that's not just talking about an older sibling and your younger sibling, you know, breaks your toy. That's not your brother trespassing against you. It would fit all right, but that's not really what this is talking about. It's talking about Christians getting along with each other and ministering to each other. Trespass is not just when you get on your neighbor's property. The word trespass means if he sins, if he errs, if he misses the mark. If a person wrongs you... If a Christian friend or brother wrongs you, what are you supposed to do? And that's what this passage is about. It's, it's clear. I mean, you, you can't get anything out of this passage other than what it says, and that is where there's a biblical way to deal with it. By the way, if I, I know that that's true. It's clear that that's true if a brother trespass against you. But I also believe it's true that if someone... If in the context of the church, which is a context of, if a person sins or wrongs something against the church, in a way, that is a trespass against me because I'm a part of the church. But just look at it as an individual situation. What are we supposed to do? And the Bible says you're to go to that person. Look in verse 15. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, put it on Facebook and make sure the whole world knows. No, it doesn't say that. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, then just ignore them. Don't sit close to them. Don't talk to them. Is that what it says? No. It says, If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. If a person sins against you, wrongs you in some way, you're to go to them privately. I don't even think texting them is the way to handle it. You're to go to them privately. Amen. Sit down with them over a cup of coffee. And if you don't drink coffee, i pray for you. Sit down and talk to them deal with the problem. look with, look, you know what you find I've done this before, and most of you, many of you have done this before, I'm sure. Sometimes you find out that you're not always as right as you think you are. You may find out that they have some legitimate concerns or, or there was a reason why they did what they did or said what they said, but the pro, but you never fix that unless you talk to them. It ought to be discussed with, with an individual, And what is the goal? Look at the last part of verse 15. This is so important. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That's the whole goal. You know, the last part of, or the the earlier context in chapter 18, verse 14, look look what it says. "It's, it's it's, It's not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. In other words, we ought to go after the lost sheep. We're to care for them. God doesn't want any of them to perish And that's not just talking about lost people in the community. That's talking about sheep that are part of the flock. And they get lost. And he says, Jesus doesn't want any of them to perish. Verse 15, moreover, if someone wrongs you, you ought to go to that person. It shouldn't be, at least initially, it shouldn't be discussed with others. It ought to be discussed with that person. I want to ask you this. Please don't answer. I'm not looking for a response. Just... Just a question for you to think about. When was the last time, if ever, that someone said something that you didn't understand or hurt your feelings or kind of set you off? When was the last time you went to a Christian friend, a good Christian? When was the last time you went to a good Christian friend that you know was making wrong decisions and sat down with that person and said, I love you, you're my friend, but I need to talk to you about something. You know, the truth of the matter is, many people never do that. They never do it. I want to tell you, if Christians don't care about each other enough to help each other, who is going to care enough to help them? But you know, we're, for whatever reason, I can only speculate. We're, we don't want to get involved. We don't want to be misrepresented. You know what a lot of people say about what we're talking about right now? Maybe you've already thought it. They say, you're just judging people. You know, you're just being judgmental. You're not supposed to judge. Don't you know that God loves everybody? I do. You know what, God, I know this about God. He knows us, he loves us enough that when we're wrong, he'll talk to us about it. God doesn't look at me when I'm wrong and just dismiss it. Don't say, well, I just love that person too much to talk to them. That's wrong. It's just like a parent saying, I love my child too much to correct them. No, the Bible says if you don't correct them, you don't love them. I was reading yesterday in Proverbs something that speaks directly to this where it says in chapter 27, open rebuke is better than secret love. Open rebuke, that means you go to a person and say, look, I'm not here to judge you. I care about you. I'm concerned that the direction you're going is not a good direction. And then in the next part of that verse, open rebuke is better than secret love. The next verse says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. He said, preacher, can you ever look, remember times in your life when someone who loved you and cared about you rebuked you or corrected you or reproved you about something? Absolutely. You know what? They, it was good for me. But people live like... I'm telling you, if you, if you go by what you see on social media... The definition of love and accountability, you see on social media and what people say often, even preachers say, you'd say, well, you should never ever point out when anybody's wrong. That's not true. That is just not biblically true. That might be easy on you, just like a parent who won't really deal with their children because it hurts the parent too much. That's not real love. This is what friends are supposed to do. You don't ignore something. If there's something wrong, we ought to go to that person. It's best for that person if you'll go to them, and it's best for you if you'll address it. And by the way, this is not, and we know this, this is not the only place you find this in the Bible. I think it may have been yesterday. Some of you know, many of you know, we print out and publish a daily devotion every day, and you can read the book or you can get it on the Internet. But I think it was yesterday or the day before Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 was in there, which says this, basically. Brethren, talking to believers, if a man be overtaken in a fault, if a man is stumbled, if he's fallen, if he's overtaken in a fault, here's what you do. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. If you see someone, that's what, kind of what Jesus said. If someone trespassed against you, go to them. Paul writing to the Galatians says, if a man be overtaken in a fall, you that are spiritual, you know what people are trying to make us believe? That if you're really spiritual, you just ignore all sin. No, it's not true. That's not spirituality. Amen. You that are spiritual with the right spirit and attitude, go try to help that person. I was reading this morning the book of James chapter 5 where James writes this. It says this, brethren, notice again, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, couldn't be plainer, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, that's not talking about getting him saved, that's talking about helping him get his life back on a better place. And one, convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. We're to go to those people. We're trying to help each other. We heard this morning in Sunday school about the importance of the church and our relationship with each other. I'm telling you, we need to live by the book, folks. We need to live by the book. If you've been made to believe that we're never to ever have a serious conversation with other Christians about their direction, their, the trajectory of their life, and we're just to kind of let them go, and not if we're especially if they're going in a bad direction. If you think that's spiritual, you you need to just take a deep breath today and say, I need to get back to the Bible and see what the Bible says. If you if you look what Jesus said in verse fifteen, if you hear if they hear you, that means you get it resolved. You've gained your brother. What a blessing. Well, as we all know sometimes when you do that, they don't always they don't always come around immediately. So what if the issue is not resolved with that person? Look in verse 16. But he says, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. You ought to pray about it. I think you ought to pray about it. You ought to seek the Lord. Make sure you're you know, you've got the right heart about it, but if it doesn't if it doesn't get better, then he says you ought to take somebody with you. And again, what is the goal? It's to restore the person. It's to resolve the conflict. I read this morning over in the book of Deuteronomy where he speaks about this whole matter of doing things in the presence of one or two witnesses, two or three witnesses. It's just not just one person's word against another. So you try that in verse 16. Well, what if that doesn't work? Verse 17, it says, and if he neglect to hear them, if they just will not reason, they won't get it right, they won't won't repent, what should you do? Verse 17, tell it unto the church. It ought to be dealt with in the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, Brother Jason was talking in his lesson in Sunday school this morning about an incident our church had many years ago. It was a very painful event. And you you brought up some bad memories, brother. Thanks a lot. (laughs) But there there were some people that were just out of sorts. And I tried and tried and tried to help them. And then I did what the Bible says. I brought the whole issue before the church. And I said, look, we, we, the church needs to intervene in this situation. That's, the church has the final authority. The pastor doesn't have the final authority. The church has the final authority. And so it says in here, you take it in verse 17, you take it to the church. And by the way, let me just insert something. If someone's a guest here and they're thinking that we've got this, some kind of a mutiny going on. I, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> so, but it, I'm just teaching what the Bible says. It's good to know what the Bible says. So what if this person is not willing to get it right? Then, then look what it says in verse 17. If he neglect to hear the church, he's, not just not, he's just not responding to the one person. He's not just responding to the group that came to them. Let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. That's talking about what we often refer to as church discipline. I'm not going to turn to the passage, but there's a, an example of this in a church at Corinth, a, church, a place where the immorality is being practiced, and the church was doing nothing about it, and it was common knowledge. And the church was doing nothing about it. And Paul wrote to them and says, when you come together, you need to deal with this. And again, this is not just an isolated event. I was reading yesterday in the book of, to the church, the, the epistle to the th- church at Thessalonica. Listen to these words. That you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after tra- the tradition which you received of us, for Paul says this, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us. Paul says when a person is walking disorderly, when they're out of order, when they're not, they're not being obedient, you try to restore them, then he says you ought to withdraw yourself from them. Now that's a painful thing to think about, but it's, but it's what the Bible says to the Romans. I'm just telling you, these are not isolated verses. To the Romans, Paul wrote this. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. He said, they're not those people who will not respond, will not repent, will not get right, they're not serving Christ, they're serving their own belly. That means they're only doing what they want. They're being selfish and rebellious. Now what is this whole subject, back to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, 16, and 17, what is it about? It's about accountability. It's about helping each other grow in the Lord. Now I realize that as a pastor, I'm expected to do that, and I do that. I don't think I police over people, but people in this room have heard me come to them, and other people who are not here have heard me come to them and say, How are you doing spiritually? I'm concerned about you, whatever. That that's not being nosy, that's not being judgmental, that's caring about people. We're to help each other grow in the Lord, we're to help each other avoid the pitfalls of sin. We're to love each other enough to be accountable to one another. And when someone is obstinate, when they won't repent, when they won't uh, respond to reproof or correction, the Bible says you can't just treat it like it never happened. Aren't you glad that Jesus put these words in here? You know, people act like the words of Jesus are just all easy and sweet. But no, some of them are hard. But they're still the words of Jesus. Now, there are a couple other things I want to mention here, but I spent the most of that time on the the majority of the verses, which is 15, 16, and 17, on church accountability. But there's another thing I want to touch on this morning in verse 18, if you look there with me, Matthew 18, 18. And that's church authority. Look what it says in verse 18. Verily I say unto you, in the context of what's just being said, about taking things to the church or dealing with offenses, verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye, talking to the church, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Talking about the church's authority. Uh, Hold your finger right there in Matthew 18, just flip the page to the left to Matthew 16. And look what it says in verse 19. Jesus was talking in verse 18 about his church. In verse 19 he says, And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so that's talking about authority. Binding something means to tie something. To restrict it. To prohibit it. The church, Jesus is saying, If something, if there's an issue that needs to be resolved, Take it to the church And the church has the authority to say this should not happen or this should happen. And so if binding, whichever you shall bind, means that you're prohibiting it. And then he says whatever you loose, whatever the church allows, whatever the church permits, whatever the church is unbinding it. The church has been given, the church, the local assembly has been given authority and responsibility. We often call this the autonomy of a local church. The church is self-governing. There is no other institution that directs what goes on in local assemblies. It's up to that local assembly to govern itself. Whatever a local church binds or looses on earth will be bound in heaven. Now, of course, churches should be guided by the word of God. Jesus is teaching this, how the church ought to be be self-governing. You know, our church, I'll just give you a simple example. Our church meets in the midweek services on Wednesday evening. And most churches like ours have a midweek service. They meet on Wednesday. Some of them meet on Thursday. That's because they're heretics. No, no. So if the church were to say, you know, we're going to meet on Tuesday night instead or Thursday night instead, if the church... Prays about it and says, you know, this is what we think would be God's will for us, they're not violating any biblical principle. God will honor that. They're making a decision as a church. They're self-governing. That's the way churches are to be. And heaven stands behind those biblical wise decisions. That's what he says there in verse 18. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. You know, that's why we, our church is you know, I'm the pastor, but I'm not a dictator. We talk about things. We make decisions about the way we support missions, things of that nature. The church votes on that. I think It's important. Th- this is the example of the Bible. So we have, we have church accountability that we're responsible for each other. We have church authority. And the last thing in verse 19 we have is church unity. And this is really what was uh, specifically emphasized in Sunday school this morning. Look at Verse 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything. Now getting two independent Baptists to agree on anything, that is a challenge. But God is a miracle working God, right? That if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven, Jesus said. For where two or three are gathered together in my Name, there am I amidst them. And obviously there's something here about prayer, but it's preceded by something about agreement. If any of you should agree, look in verse 19. If you're in the habit of underlining or marking things in the Bible, I'd urge you to circle or underline that word agree. It's an important word. Uh, the English word agree is translated from a Greek word, sumphoneo S-U-M-P-H-O-N-E-O. Sumphonio sounds like what? Symphony. The word, is where we get our word, English word symphony, and a symphony means it's in harmony. The church, if a church can agree, that doesn't mean every church dots every eye and crawl, every member cross every T, but we're in harmony, you know? You have different, or, different instruments in the orchestra, and they make different sounds, but they harmonize. It's, they're in symphony. And this is what a church is supposed to look like, a great picture of churches. And it takes the Spirit of God to do this. For a church to be accountable to one another, for a church to operate in the authority God's given them, and for a church to be unified. But that's what Jesus wants in His churches. Another word used in the New Testament is to be in one accord. That's a New Testament word. The churches the book of Acts were in one accord. That means they're in agreement The opposite of a chord is discord. And that would be like an instrument that's out of tune, an instrument that's clashing. Discord is the opposite of being in one accord. It's being in disagreement or strife. And that's not always easy to accomplish. I love the language, and I'm not going to turn to it today, but you'll be familiar with it. Please listen as I quote it from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. It says this, Endeavoring endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know what endeavor means? You work at it. You work at it. To take off the one of the illustrations we heard in uh, Sunday school this morning about marriage, my wife and I. We don't always agree on everything. Sometimes it takes me a while to come around to her opinion. But, but we... But you know what? We're not in dis- There's no discord between us. We, we're together. We work through things together. We want to be in unity. That's, that's the way a church is supposed to be. And you can sit here and say, well, I just don't think that's possible. Well, I just want to beg to differ with you because Jesus said to do it. Jesus said, he said, well, it seems impossible. Well, that's why we have a miracle working God. Sometimes people in the church have an idea and they say, you know, this is something I'd like to do. If it was just me personally, I'd say, I don't think we ought to do that. But, you know, it's not just my opinion that matters. It's the will of God we're looking for. It's the will of God we're looking for. Unity doesn't always come naturally. We have this tendency. Maybe you've never recognized it. Maybe you've never noticed it. We have this tendency, at least most of us do, to we want things our way. (laughs) Right? Right? Burger King religion, have it your way. We don't. We but really we want God's way. And look what He promises us in verse 19: If you, if two of you shall agree on earth, is touching anything that they shall ask, they can, they're agreeing in prayer, touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And I know that phrases in the Bible get used a lot and I think sometimes used incorrectly but you know people say would you agree with me about this and they're asking somebody hey would you agree with me in prayer about this and they're not it's not even a church context and I'm not against that we ought to pray for one another and pray with one another but this isn't the context of the church a unified church ought to pray I've said this many times over the many years that I've been here I would rather have a, a unified church praying for me than any other institution or group in the world I believe there's great prayer. That's why we rejoice in answered prayers. When we pray together as a church and God does something, we rejoice in that. The church is, ga- notice what he says in, in verse 20 then. This kind of wraps it up. Verse twenty: For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, again, that's talking, I think that's talking about unity, it's talking about, but it's also talking about assembly. They're gathering together. They're worshiping together. They're fellowshipping together. They're growing together, praying together, serving together. That's what a church is supposed to be. You know, a lot of people have done online services for a long time, but more people got on board during this COVID thing, obviously, including our church. But I read an interesting piece recently from a pastor that I know in Iowa who's basically quit doing the online thing altogether. And and I'm not saying we're doing that, but I'm just saying he did it and 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 he gave a great reason for it. But basically it was because people have become too accustomed, too comfortable just to stay home when they could be at church. And I've heard... this is not I I speculate a lot but I'm not telling what I speculate about I do speculate a lot but I've heard people actually say about when they're like it online because they can be listening to it and they can be washing dishes they can be listening to it and they can be you know feeding the dog or whatever you know what I can listen to it and play a puzzle listen that's what happens it becomes sort of a. it's not the same as being here it's not the same as being focused on worshiping God and fellowshipping together I know there's some people who cannot get out and for them, I'm glad the tools, the technology available. But I'm telling you, this is a church that Jesus talked about in verse 18. This gathering together. And the, the great news, the best news, I've saved for the last. And the Lord said, I will be in the midst of them. The Lord said he'd be there. You know, that's the most important thing. The prom- and this promise is uniquely given to the Lord's churches. I know a person could, you know, be on the first hole ready to tee off on Sunday morning and say, let's just pray and ask God to be with us. And, you know, God's everywhere, right? But that's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. Take my word for it. This is not what this is about. He is in the midst of them when they are assembled. Paul wrote about this numerous times in other epistles. He wrote about it at the church at Ephesus where he said the church was an habitation of God through the Spirit, a place where God chooses to dwell. I'm going to close with this. Think about this. What if, what if God had the choice of dwelling anywhere he wanted to live? Now, God is everywhere. We know that, Right? He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He then dwells individual lives. We know that. You cannot deny that. He dwells in individual lives. The Lord is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you know where else he said, promised that he wanted to live? And that's in the assembly of the people. He would be there working, comforting, convicting, directing. Isn't that good? That God is, would do that? Why would God do that? Why would God want to be here? Why would God want to... By the way, it's not in the building. It's in the people. It's in, this, he, in the midst of the people. He's there. And He's here today. Amen. Amen. This is church life. That's what I, I, I title this. Aaron asked me, what's the title today? And I said, you're not going to believe this after Jason's lesson. You're not going to believe it's church life. This is how it's supposed to be, accountable to one another. Do we encourage each other? Yes. Do we reprove each other? Yes. I know we can get out of balance. We can do too much encouraging and too little reproving. We can do too much reproving. It happens in families, it can happen. But I'm telling you, accountability is a part of it. I'm glad it is. Authority is a part of it. The church has been given authority. Only only one institution, talking about missions, only one institution has been given this commission. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end. Of the world or the age. Church authority, church unity, being unified together. You know what? You know what communities need? They don't just need more buildings with church signs on them. I'm not, some places need some kind of witness, but you know what they need more than, than that? They need church bodies that are functioning as a body, unified together with a common purpose. That verse in Ephesians is such a great verse. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Amen. Now, if you're here today and you're not saved, you don't need to be active in missions. You need to be saved. You need to come to the Lord in repentance of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today you ought to do that. I pray that God's been speaking maybe to people's hearts about that. If you're saved, maybe you're saved but you've never been scripturally baptized. You know, you have to be baptized to be a part of the church. Maybe you think about that, I need to get baptized to be a part of the body. Or maybe you're saved and you're a member of the church. But if you'd really get honest and sincere... You kind of hold back on really being accountable and being involved and working for the, the strengthening, the unity of the church. And it would be a good day to say, you know, that's what I want. That's what I want. Because God wants it. That's what I want. Let's bow our heads together for prayer, all right? I love this passage. It's so practical. So needed and so powerful. A lot of heads are bowed today, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, folks are praying. I'm gonna pray in just a moment, but would you pray right where you sit? What would the Lord want you to do? Maybe, maybe you've, I, I have no way of knowing this, but maybe you've really erred and got off track in some way, and maybe even somebody's come to you and said, You know, I'm praying for you, I'm concerned about you, and you hadn't responded to that. You know, that's consider that a, a, a warning, a, a nudge from God. Not just somebody judging you, somebody trying to help you. Would you let God work in your heart today? Father, I thank you for your word. What a blessing it is today just to worship together and to sing together, but to get into the word of God and let the word of God speak to us. And Father, we thank you for it today. Lord, would you work in our hearts, even in these moments, as we Ponder as we apply, as we, as the writer of Hebrews says, mix faith with the word of God. Lord, help us to live out what you've given us in your word.